Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. You're listening to MAP Sports Take. Whether it's breaking news or sports business, this is your home for unmuzzled and unconventional sports talk. With assistant general manager, director of player personnel, and three-time world champion on his resume, David Turner has a thing or two to teach you about pro football. At his side is Ryan Roberts, former college football player, football coach, and NFL Draft Bible's director of scouting. Together, they're here to take you on a deep dive into what goes on in the world of sports. Ryan and David, take it away. Welcome to Mavs Sports Day. This is episode 51, your weekly podcast for sports, business, and a whole lot more. Here we tackle the business of all the news that you hear about and a lot that you do not. Tonight, David and I will be welcoming PSN veteran sports journalist and football insider Dave Naylor. Also, we will have our second edition of the Kirkland's Corner. That's Corner with a C. Our friend James Kirkland for NFL uh, is a former NFL scout and director of player personnel with the Fighting Illini of the University of Illinois. And we are, of course, looking forward to, again, Kirkland Corner, Corner with a C. We are live here on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and we are very, I think, very welcoming. We love the ability to speak to the listeners out there. So if there are any questions for either one of our guests or for us in general during the show, we applaud you. We urge you to put it into the chat live all night. Please do so. And shout out to One Institution. I always forget to thank those folks. They've been so gracious with their platform, giving us the ability for now 51 weeks to be here to talk sports 8.30 Eastern time on Tuesday nights. David, I am contra- contractually obligated to start the show out with this. How are you, my friend? <laughs> you are not, but that is hilarious. Uh, we're do- I'm doing good tonight, you know, just kind of getting ready for this. Uh, you know, I'm really excited that, that Dave Naylor, uh, our friend from above the border there, is, uh, is going to be able to come on and talk to us about CFL football. You know, I had to take a year off with the pandemic, and then it's starting later than usual. So there's so many, uh, di- so much dynamics that they're having to deal with. And then again, they don't make as much money, obviously, as the NFL or even big time college football. So to have him on tonight to talk about some of these dynamics they're having to face in battle, they're going to be just incredible. And he's an incredible uh, talent up there, and a great friend of me for coming on. And then obviously, as we always love, James Kirkland. Coming on, doing the Kirkland Corner. We don't even know what he's going to bring up. We tell him, just bring it to the corner. Like, we're just sitting there, going to talk about it, and he's going to bring it in, and we're going to talk about it. So it'll be really exciting to see what he has to talk about. There's so much going on in the world today. So, yeah, let's. I'm ready to get it on. Yeah, man. Yeah, I'm a little worried about Kirkland's Corner every time that it pops up because – never know what James is going to kind of bring up with us. But we are excited to bring this show to you tonight. Before we get into this, are you an athlete looking to make money off of your name, image, or likeness? Whether you're a male or female athlete, there is a lot of opportunity out there for you to monetize your NIL while going to school. While others are approaching you, they have ulterior motives to gain you as a client later in life. 
we talked to some agents that admitted to this. Maverick Sports Consulting is offering you, a friend in the business, to assist you in finding opportunities, guide you to protective deals that are focused to benefit you. It does matter if you're a male or female athlete, a golfer, a tennis player, a football player, a basketball player. You could be earning money for your name, image, and likeness right now. Email Maverick Sports Consulting today, and we will start working together tomorrow. So before we welcome Dave on, uh, David, I figure we'll start with a little secret sauce of scouting before Dave gets on and kind of breaks down the CFL. So I'm going to pick a position here that maybe some people like. I know it's it's getting close to fantasy football time of year, man. So maybe we'll talk some running backs, David. Running backs sound good to you? Let's talk some yeah, running I mean, running backs are always good with me. All right, before I start to ask you what the important traits are when you're breaking down a line or a running back during your time as an NFL, CFL, and Arena League, I would say three straight Arena League championships with the Arizona Rattlers, 19 years in the business. Oh, man, the resume speaks for itself. David Turner, who is the best running back, though, just kind of out of off of recollection, maybe a couple off the top of your head that stand out to you as some of the best that you have scouted during your career? Uh, I got to lead off with one of the best ever is uh, Ricky Williams. I mean, you talk about power, speed, agility, hands, pass blocking. I, mean, I wouldn't say he was a crusher at pass blocking, but he would step up. He would deliver a hit. You know, he, he protected his quarterback and he could catch out of the backfield. And he was such a big individual that ran downhill. It was impressive to really watch him work and do his thing. Uh, and I was, again, when I broke into the Miami Dolphins, he was there that we had traded for him and he brought him over and the team brought him over. So uh, it was impressive to start with my my career with him. And then I went up to the Giants where we had a smaller running back in Tiki Barber. So I got to watch Tiki run. So I got two different, very distinctly different runners early in my career to evaluate and watch and see how they approach the game and, um, you know, some of the best I've evaluated are are really easily. Um, gosh, you know Adrian well, I Peterson. Gonna, I was say, yeah, I, I know AP was definitely going to be one. I was gonna. I was thinking, weren't you? You were still with Carolina, right? The first year that they drafted McCaffrey, right? Do I remember that yes. correctly? Yes. Yes. I mean, he's. I mean, he's the best all-purpose back right now, currently in the NFL. You know, as far as the, the dual option. Uh oh, what's happening? I don't know what's happening. Timeout, David Turner. Oh, David Turner. Uh, so yeah, I would say Christian McCaffrey right now for David being around the Carolina Panthers and having the ability to be around a guy who is a multi-purpose threat. I always think of him in this similar vein as a guy for me in Marshall Falk, who of course San Diego State was wrongfully so passed up for the Heisman Trophy the year that he came out. I think Gino Toretto won that Heisman. Of course, he was the national championship quarterback for the Miami Hurricanes. So there's going to be some fanfare there. We're playing the quarterback position. But Marshall Falk was multi-versatile, uh, drafted by the, the uh, Indianapolis Colts of the year. I think second overall, if I remember, Big Daddy Dan Wilkinson was the first selection by the Cincinnati Bengals that year, the defensive tackle. So Marshall Falk, for me, was a guy that when you're talking about the ability to affect the game in both the run and pass game, one of the only – a couple running backs, including Christian McCaffrey and Roger Craig, who were guys that both had a thousand yards and a thousand yards, a thousand yards rushing and a thousand yards receiving 
in the same season. So McCaffrey is amongst the, the, when we're talking about historically speaking, David, like Roger Craig, Marshall Falk, Christian McCaffrey, the only three running backs ever to have a thousand thousand, uh, both rushing and receiving. So uh, a couple of great ones. You got anybody else you want to throw up there before I let Dave on with us? Well, yeah, you know, for me, when I'm when I'm thinking running back, I mean, guys like Edwin James, I mean, again, size and speed, the power of Peterson, the uh, Eric Dickerson's and, you know, guys like that, that just were just, again, they're big guys, but they ran the ball with elegance and grace. And, you know, I was fortunate to be old enough to watch Walter Payton play, you know, on <laughs> TV as a youngster and stuff. So, you know, I got Sweeter. to see some, and Barry Sanders, is just absolutely one that always sticks in my mind when we talk about running backs because of his ability to run the ball, catch the ball, and just make people miss. He was just such a mismatch on the field for anybody. Yeah, and I I think we have Dave Naylor waiting for us behind the screen. Oh, nope, he just left. So he's going to be on in just a second here. A couple great ones there, David. I would throw – I don't know if you mentioned him. LaDamian Tomlinson is one in recent history as far as him coming out of TCU. was a fantastic – Yeah, I don't really talk about LT because I still have PTSD when – because I was with the Raiders when he was at the Chargers. So I'm sorry, LT, but you scarred me for life. I got to just let that go. I can't talk about that. Uh, That's funny, man. So we're going to welcome Dave Naylor on right now. He is a veteran – sports journalist with TSNs. He's a football insider delivering news and in-depth analysis on the CFL and NFL across all TSN platforms. During the CFL and NFL seasons, Naylor delivers news and in-depth analysis on issues concerning both leagues. Naylor has also received critical acclaim for his special feature reporting for TSN. Dave, appreciate you joining us tonight, man. How are you? I'm very well, and thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Very excited to talk football. Look at you. Football's back, baby. North of the border, south of the border. I mean, football's everywhere right now. You got to be just, you know, humming and moving along. Well, I got to tell you, since March of 2020, I have only been to TSN twice to do television. Once was the NFL draft. Uh, because I, I was moving that weekend. So my home studio was taken apart. I had to go into TSN for that. Uh, and today uh, we had two guests who were remote on the, I was on the, the top 50 players show. And those were Milt Stiegel and Matt Dunnigan in uh, Atlanta and Dallas. Uh, and so they wanted me in studio uh, with the host. So I got to, I got to drive to work today for the first, for the <laughs> second time in a year and a half. It was great. Yeah, it was a longer commute from there to the couch, you know. You, know, just... <laughs> you got it. You got it. I put it on a suit for it. So there you go. Oh, look at you all snazzed up here on the math take. We just go t-shirts, baby. Just t-shirts. Man, when, I, when I went to look for my dress shoes, I had no idea if I even had any. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, you're awesome. I'm so happy we got you on tonight. It's been a, It's been too long, my friend, to talk to you, but now I get to have you on and talk some ball. I'm so excited. So Ryan's going to lead off with some questions. We're going to jump right in. Yeah, Dave, I, I think you had a perfect you know, segue into my first question. We're talking about the energy and just the excitement to have football back north of the border. So I want to ask just coming off a year with no games, what is the atmosphere up there right now for the kickoff this week, this weekend for the games finally getting the CFL back? You know, I, I think there's a lot of excitement. And, and obviously, one of the things with this in this country is the enthusiasm for Canadian football varies depending on where you are. Like it's Gaga out on the prairies where, you know, they've they've really, really missed it. You know, in, the, in this part of the world, 
Um, you know, Southern Ontario, I'm, I, I live about, it's funny, I live about equidistant between BMO Field in, in Toronto and Tim Hortons Field in Hamilton. I'm about halfway between the two in the West End of Toronto. So, you know, in Hamilton, of course, there's all kinds of excitement because coming off the 15-3 and three season, they basically got the same team back, the same coaching staff back. They've, uh, they're, they're hosting the Grey Cup this year for the first time in 25 years. And, of course, they're going to get a Grey Cup rematch coming up on Thursday night. In Toronto, you know, there's so much that goes on in this city. The CFL can fly below the radar sometimes. And, you know, particularly with a year off and, and a whole bunch of new faces. I mean, the Argonauts are a completely new team. And so I think there's a bit of a you know, kind of getting to know this team, see what they have. I mean, the Argos have been terrible for the last couple of years since they won the Grey Cup in 2017. They've had back-to-back four-win seasons, which is not, you know, much to build your fan uh, your fan base off of, but you know, overall I think I think across the league there's a real enthusiasm about this league being back and especially since there were a lot of people who worried they wouldn't play again this year and you know, I I think if it had not been for the advent of the vaccine, you know, we wouldn't be playing football this year, but uh but we are and and I I think the league's going to have a clean year. I I was actually one of the people who supported their decision not to play last year. I just thought, you know, this league is not a league that's huge in terms of resources that they can spend to fix problems like to deal with things like COVID. I thought, let the NFL go first, let college football go first, go to school on them, find out what worked for them, find out you know, what didn't work for them. What were their biggest challenges? What were their biggest obstacles? And then, you know, play your season. And I really think that the, the best course of action, you know, has happened, not playing last year and then coming back this year strong. And Dave, I wanted to ask you about something that's not it's not your perspective now. I want I love the perspective of the fans and and yours just kind of getting football back. I actually have I think Charleston Hughes is going to pop on with us one week soon here of course the great CFL pass rusher. And I'm curious just kind of the can you have you gotten the pulse around the players who you know are coming off a year where you know like this is what they do, you know, probably since they were little kids. What's the atmosphere around the players who are playing this great game? You know, I always say Football players love football more than any athletes love their sport. And I have a couple of theories of why. One is you practice five times for every time you play. You got to love it to do that. And the pain threshold, you know, what you put your body through to play professional football is not like any other sport. So that that's the starting point. So take that away from guys for a year. And it's hard. It really has been hard on them because it is so much of, you know, the, the regimented off season, on season, the way the football schedule is laid out, you know, that's, that's really the kind of the structure of their lives. So yeah, there's a, there's a complete enthusiasm and not a lot of complaining, you know, this things aren't easy. There's testing going on. There's things they can't do, but you don't hear a lot about that. It's just, Hey, we're glad to be back playing football. No, absolutely. I can imagine. I was one of the guys who was doubtful they were going to play this year. And I'm on record for saying that. I was like, I don't know how it's going to work with the vaccine and the numbers and the levels of things are going because it is a butts and seat type, you know, environment. You make money with people coming to the stadiums. You don't have these huge TV contracts like you were alluding to the NFL and big time college football and stuff. So it's uh, it was one that I was kind of thinking, I don't know what what's going to happen. How are they going to what's the league policy or. Uh, I guess, how are they going to handle the crowds and fans coming? Is it going to be limited at first? Is it going to be wide open? How how are they going about this? Well, it's very similar in the U.S., whereas you've seen it's state by state. I mean, one thing that COVID has, has kind of illustrated to us is how different, you know, the various governments are in the 50 states and the way they handle this. Well, it's been, you know, it's similar, maybe not as extreme in Canada, 
But as I'm about to explain to you, when it comes to the CFL, there's some pretty good extremes here. I mean, in Saskatchewan, it's whatever you want to do, like they, no masks. You know, there's some restrictions in the stadium, but essentially their stadium is sold out for this weekend. That's it's like going to be like any other game for the most part. Some restrictions in stadium, but the, it's it's really pretty wide open. Same thing in Alberta, in Edmonton and Calgary. It's going to be the same thing in in Winnipeg for the, the opener on Thursday night. You have to have proof of having had the two vaccines being fully vaccinated in order to get into the stadium. So that's going to take some time. And they've been telling people, get there early because you got to show I, you can show your certificate, but then you got to show your ID to make sure the name on your certificate matches that. So they're warning people, get there early. Um, and then, again, this is was what came down from the provincial government. And then in Ontario, you know, right now, if you look at what the Blue Jays are getting, they're 15,000. They're allowed in. I think we're going to be about the same when the Argonauts play the first game in southern Ontario on August 21st. And and then it'll ramp up from there. And in Quebec, the same thing by the end of the month. Well, you know, we're going to be partially full stadium. So, you know, the, the vaccination rates in this country have been have been very strong. Uh, the cases have come down massively over the last three or four months. So I, I think people are expecting that by the time we get to the fall, we're going to have uh, very few restrictions and, and kind of head towards the playoffs in the Great Cup on a very a traditional map. Hopefully everyone's keeping their eye on this Delta variant and seeing what happens with that. But uh, really, overall, uh, to start, it's, it's not going to be that different uh, in terms of you know crowds and fans. Yeah, here in the States, we've had a bounce back like Vegas is back to mass. A lot of California's back to mass. Even here in Arizona where I live, it's a red state. But there are certain cities in the state that are recommending, you know, the mass and stuff again. And and so it's uh it's really interesting how to hear another country is handling it similarly. It's not countrywide, it's still province by province is it's is take tackling the issue their their own way. Yeah, it is. And it's funny how it feels like in this whole thing, you go from being in a good situation to a bad situation. I mean, early in the pandemic, we looked at the U.S. and said, wow, I'm glad we're not them. And then, you know, the vaccine rollout happened so much earlier in the U.S. and their numbers started diving. And we were, I mean, April and May, we were having some of the worst numbers we've had through the whole thing. And then the vaccine rollout really kicked in kind of May, June and July. And our numbers have gone like in Ontario, where I live, which is the most populous province. We have 14 million people in this province. And we've gone from four or 5,000 cases a day, that range to like, now we're getting like a hundred or 200 a day. You know, it's, it's really, it's really changed dramatic. I read today that I think in, it's, I think the province of Ontario, over 18, 81% of people have at least one Back, uh, one shot. So, so it's it's the concentration here has been pretty strong. And I don't know if you guys saw what the CFL came out today with their guidance today or their uh, with re- regard to teams and vaccines. Did you guys see that? No, no. I missed it. Please fill us okay. in. What did they say? This is pretty interesting. So, if a game is canceled because of an outbreak on a team, any team that has more than eighty five percent of its players vaccinated, everybody will get paid. Any team that has fewer than 85% of his players vaccinated, nobody gets paid, even regardless of where the outbreak is. So it's possible that if the outbreak could happen on a team where everybody gets paid and the other team, they didn't have an outbreak. There was nothing. There was no COVID there, but they're not getting paid if they're below 85 So think of that. Now, it's unlikely you would think if you're above 85, you're going to have an outbreak that would cause a cancellation of a game. But there's actually it's theoretically possible that you could have one team have an outbreak 
they get a loss because they have to forfeit the game, but all their guys get paid. The other team didn't have an outbreak. They get a win because they're on the right side of the forfeit, but their guys don't get paid. So it's a pretty wow. strong. No, can you imagine? <laughs> like the wow, team that forfeits that's... gets paid, and the team that didn't forfeit doesn't get paid, but they get a win. So, and if both teams have an outbreak going into a game, both teams will get a loss in their in their column. So, massive incentive to get to eighty five. And I believe the league they put out the numbers. I believe it's off the top of my head, guys. It's three or four teams that are already at that threshold. So they've got some room to go. Uh, for some of the teams, and and we'll see because, uh, like similarly to the NFL, they're they can't tell everybody get vaccinated, but they can come in cl- as close as they possibly can try, and that's basically where they are right here. Well, Dave, yeah, I, was that, I mean, ask- we saw that with the Vikings, right, Ron? Yeah, yeah. No, and I was I was going to say, Dave, I was, that was actually going to be my question. Was I mean, here with the training camps opening up, right? Like, I feel like every player is getting asked, "Have you been vaccinated? Have you not been vaccinated?" Do you feel like the players up there have been questioned by the media as much or at a higher rate to try to get those numbers that you're talking about? You know, not so much because this training camp has basically been no media access except on Zoom calls. You know, like right. you can't go up to a guy one on one. You're not one. Never mind in the locker room, even on the field. Everything's been on Zoom. So I think mm-hmm. the nature of that has kept most of the conversations about football, you know, not as much about those other things. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's yeah, it, it certainly it certainly has come up. And, you know, I, like one of the things I was talking to teams the other day and, you know, over the course of the season, the CFL signs quite a number of street free agents. Right. Guys that get, get let go in the NFL or guys that were not prepared to come two months ago, but now they're ready to come or whatever. I can tell you, if you're a street free agent hoping to play in the CFL this year, you better be vaccinated because <laughs> they are not going to bring in unvaccinated guys. You know, I think it's unless unless it's a really big need that you're filling, um, you know, just in terms of getting across the border, there's a quarantine that would be required that would delay you getting to the team. Then obviously if a team is bringing in unvaccinated players, they're going to move their number down right towards what and, and, and bring, and bring risk into the locker room. So I don't think teams can say this officially, but in my conversations with them, I think it's going to be very hard for you know an unvaccinated free agent to get signed in the CFL this season. Well, and Dude, I, 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 I know- totally agree with that. I mean, think about it. I mean, all yeah. the stuff we have to deal with up in the CFL anyways, and now to not come up vaccinated, I mean, that is just, I don't know if they could handle that up there. Well, I think it's 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 wanting to minimize risk, right? And if you've got, you know, I think with players already under contract, it's and it's a little murky. But from what I understand, the medical staff knows who's vaccinated, who's not. But I don't think the coaches are supposed to, right? So they don't want guys cut based on who's been vaccinated or not. Um, but when you know when it comes to guys that are not part of the union and not part of the league, you know, that, I think teams are going to have the wherewithal to to make choices as they see fit. Hey guys, I'm going to put my phone down here. So you're not going to see me, but you're going to hear me because I don't want to run out of battery here and I'm, I'm going to be charging. So if, if you can, if, if you can tolerate just my voice and not my face, you guys probably welcome this actually, and certainly your viewers. Here. So I'm just going to do Get this for a bit until I get a little charge. You're all right? on TV all the time. Get out of here. There we go. Okay. We're, we're charging again. There we go. Well, Dave, I was going to ask, cause um, DT did mention it already. You know, the Minnesota Vikings, we already see are dealing with some difficulties early on in training camp. Oh, I lost you for one second there. 
Do you lose Ryan? Oh, oh, I can hear Dave, but I can I can hear Dave. Yeah, Ryan's Ryan's probably on mute again. Okay, but, all right. Well, what what his question was was about the Minnesota Vikings because we're already seeing big time issues with them go on in the quarterback room. So, how do you feel the CFL will happen if a rush on quarterbacks or running backs or you know because again up there you only carry a very limited right. roster so. You know, you might have two quarterbacks on your actual roster and your third on your practice squad, but if all three go down and there's a quarantine, how are teams doing this? Are they going to be setting a quarterback outside the quarterback room or or in a hotel, or, or are we going to see a quarantine situation like that with maybe if you only have two running backs, you know, they're not in the room together? I mean, are teams strategizing for stuff like this? Well, it's funny because there are a couple of, uh, the league rolled out the, the circumstances under which a game would be canceled or postponed. And two of them are that you don't have 36, at least 36 players to dress. And with the expanded practice rosters, you know, that seems that that would be unlikely. You'd have to have a massive outbreak not to be able to put 36 players on the field. Uh, another one is that you don't have a player to play quarterback. And at least as the rule is written, it doesn't say what that means. Like, I guess in theory, if you had a guy who played quarterback in college and could at least attempt the job at a professional level, you can still play, I guess. It doesn't say just the quarterbacks on your roster are not. It just says you don't have a player available to play quarterback. And I'm I'm not 100% clear on the definition of that. But um, one team already, uh, David, your former team in Edmonton, uh, has already announced that one of their quarterbacks is going to be in quarantine. Like they're going to have him living completely isolated so that if something happens, they always have a guy that they can play with. And at practice, he's going to show up and, you know, throw on his own, not near the other players and things like that. So, you know, and I, this is, I think, inherent in the nature of football, right, is that and I remember, you know, even before the NFL season last year saying, well, it's unlikely, you know, if a team had three players with COVID that it would be, you know, the quarterback, a linebacker and a kicker. Like just the nature of football is that, people off the field tend to congregate and even socialize among their position group. So if something's going to happen, you're likely to get guys on the same side of the ball or even among the same position group uh, if there's going to be an infection. So we'll see how the rest of the teams are going to deal with this. But Edmonton, for one, has already taken the precaution of saying, hey, we're not going to forfeit a game because we don't have a quarterback available. We're going to make sure we've got one under any circumstance who's who we, we know is going to be isolated and isn't going to have a problem with COVID. So they're taking the Buffalo Bills approach where they had a quarterback over there and and not so much the Cleveland Browns, where I think it was last year the Cleveland played a game with a receiver. Or was that Denver? I'm sorry, Denver. I think it was Denver. It, it was Denver, yeah. yeah. There was like it, it did not look like a professional football game, right? And that's right. that's what I think the CFL is, is hoping to avoid. Speaking about the CFL, how do you see this league progressing forward? Not just, you know, next year, but down the line, like, was this XFL deal a real like idea? Is that something they're still, you know, thinking about doing? Are they thinking about expansion into the U.S. or maybe Europe or somewhere else to to, um, you know, bring more viewership to the CFL? Like, what are some ideas that they're bouncing around right now? Well, I, I think the XFL thing was very divisive among the nine teams. Uh, the, like, I think there was a lot of momentum behind it at one point, you know, around March or April, I think there was a lot of momentum and ultimately, you know, I think part of it was they ran out of time. I think they didn't want it to be a distraction to the season. I think the XFL needed some answers that the CFL couldn't give them. And ultimately there were some key areas where they really couldn't find 
you know, it's, it's hard. I think one of the things was if the XFL had been up and running and you were trying to put the two leagues together, it might have been easier than trying to put together a league that's up and running with one that at this point is still theoretical. So, you know, ultimately, and, and when you look at the communication, the league said that they were they were going to discontinue their conversation with the XFL at this time. That seemed to leave the door open. I think there are people in the CFL that don't want to revisit this. And I think there are people in the CFL that think this is something they may want to revisit. And it's going to come back to, the, you know, the, the, the elephant in the room here, guys, is there's three teams in a nine-team league where the Canadian Football League business model doesn't seem to work. And those are the three biggest markets, Toronto, Montreal, and Vancouver. And I think there are questions about, the long-term commitment of the ownership in all three of those cities. I mean, Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment owns the Toronto Argonauts. They've done nothing but lose money on them. Uh, And they were the most bullish team on trying to collaborate with the XFL, which suggests that they have real doubts or worries about the traditional CFL business model. The guys in Montreal who bought the team, they bought the team in January of 2020, you know, about a a month before COVID became a thing. Okay. Uh, it is. It was a businessman and his father-in-law who bought the team. The father-in-law just passed away last week. So Gary Stern is now the sole owner of the Montreal Alouettes. And we really have no idea what kind of owner he's going to be because he's never owned the team through a season, through even a game. But that team was losing a lot of money. And now, uh, you know, that that's not two owners, that's one. So you would assume that those losses you know, become a little more meaningful since they're not being split 50-50. So that's a question. And then in Vancouver, you have the team owned by the estate of David Braley. David Braley owned that team since 1990, the end of 1996, started in 1997. He was a very, very wealthy businessman with a deep passion for the Canadian Football League. Uh, you know, had had you know been associated with it through most of his life. And he passed away, so that, that right now is owned. That team is owned by an estate. You know, I I, I keep saying this that the future of the CFL is going to come down to their ability to secure, make sure that ownership is secure in those three markets. And I think that's an open question. We'll see where we are when we get to the end of the year. But when you know that Toronto was bullish on the XFL collaboration, I believe Montreal was bullish on the XFL collaboration. And I think the BC Lions ownership, such as it exists, you know, was willing to go along with that. Um, those those teams might have some leverage after the season, yeah, because I, I don't know that there are, you know, other owners standing waiting to take any of those teams, you know, if, if beyond the current ownership. BC, again, a little bit different situation because we know the team, you know, there's an effort to, to sell it ongoing. But in Toronto and Montreal, I think those are questions. Does the XFL thing come back into the picture? I, I think it could. I think there are people that are very much would, would like to see that happen. Uh, you know, in terms of expansion to the U.S. Or, or, you know, Mexico or things like that, I think those things are still kind of on the drawing board or or maybe that's not even the right expression. I think those things are sort of, you know, theoretical at best right now. And there are certainly people in the league that wouldn't even want to explore those things. But we're going to have to see where the dust settles here. The, all the teams lost about $8 million last season. They're all going to lose money again this year. I think really... You know, at the end of this year, seeing what the financial state is of every franchise and what the wherewithal is to move forward on the traditional CFL business model with no promise of new revenue streams or things like that, you know, that's that's going to be interesting. The one dynamic 
that everybody is putting a lot of stock on is legalized betting in Canada. I mean, the CFL just announced their their sportsbook partner uh, this this I believe it was earlier today actually just got announced that uh, announced. So they've got now a partner that they can work with. They're hoping that by promote, you know, they're they're doing NFL style injury lists for the first time. As the media, this is like a gift from God. I've covered this league <laughs> for thirty years, right? I mean, we had two years ago, we had a head coach lie about the starting quarterback to the host broadcaster the day before a playoff game, <laughs> you know, and, you know, I, fortunately I, I broke the story at 10 30 on Saturday night about who the starting quarterback was going to be. I think I moved the point spread about five points with one tweet, but that kind of stuff can't happen, right? If you're, if you're really trying to make your sport legitimate, you got to do what the NFL does. Here's who practiced. Here's who was held out. Here's who partially practiced. Here's what their injury is. And here's their probability for game day. Now, all of those things are being instituted, and that's a massive cultural shift for the CFL. Why are they doing that? Certainly not because the coaches and GMs want to do it. It's because the league <laughs> office is telling them, guys, if we're going to make money through sports betting partnerships and we're going to get more eyeballs on our games and we're going to engage younger fans and grow our fan base through sports betting, we got to give the fans the information they need to participate in that. And that's, that's a, a major shift that we're seeing this season, but it's something that I think a lot of people in the league are putting a lot of stock on that if say, I mean, if every team could make $2 million a year, you know, between the league and at the team level, if it all translates into $2 million a year per team, I mean, you're talking about a league that has a five and a half million dollar salary cap. That's 40% of your salaries, you know, covered through a deal like that. So it could be significant. Is it significant enough to, to make things viable in, in the bigger markets that have really struggled? I, I can't say, but at least it is the prospect of a new revenue stream that the CFL, you know, has not been a part of. And, and traditionally, fans have not bet on the CFL, you know, the way they obsessively bet on college football in the NFL. Well, Dave, the saddest wanna... news right there is that there's not going to be a CFL Libre anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you are. Dave, I, I no, the rest of it was awesome. I didn't know they had a betting deal now. So I was like, interesting because the the NFL is fl constantly flirting with that but they got bylaws and stuff that they can't do that's why the fan duel and these fantasy leagues are stuff that they can get involved in but they can't literally do a a deal so it's it's uh it's it's interesting how um how it's going to progress and i think as the CFL's eyes were on NFL for a covid i think the NFL eyes are going to be on CFL for this sports book deal yeah, I think you know, this is new ground, right? And and I think that, you know, it's kind of funny because we've had a bit of a, I guess everything in Canada, we kind of do, when we legalize something, we sort of do a, a gray area where we don't actually legalize it, but we don't prosecute it. it. In marijuana in this country, before it was legalized, there was basically about a three-year period where they called, you know, do whatever you want. <laughs> it wasn't legal, but nobody stopped anybody from opening a marijuana shop. There were there were a hundred of them in Toronto while it was still illegal. Um, it's kind of been the same thing with sports betting here. You know, the way the I think the FBI in the states, you know, jams offshore sports betting accounts and things like that. They don't do that here. You know, they you can use your credit cards to go to make deposits on offshore betting sites. So it's always kind of existed here. But in that gray, it's not legal, but we're not going to do anything about it zone. The difference there is that you couldn't go out and do a business deal, you know, the way the CFL has. You couldn't actively promote your league that way. And now all of these with the legalization of the bill that was passed in June, you can. 
Well, speaking of gray, Dave, we want to end you with a gray cup prediction. We want, we want it. It's, it's on the podcast. Anybody can go back to it at the end of the season. We can look you up, make sure, see what, who you picked. Two teams, favorites, teams that you like that could be content, real contenders for the gray cup this year. You know, I, um, at the risk of being boring, I, I actually see a gray cup rematch um, coming. And, and I'll tell you why. It's not just me being lazy. <laughs> I, not just well, me being lazy. Well, because that's it. Whenever you hear somebody say, "I see a rematch," you always think, "Well, the guy didn't do any homework. He's just going off last year." Like, don't you do that when you see that on TV? Oh, I picked the same two teams. Yeah, you haven't you haven't done your homework. Yeah, well, I, I, I'm going to try and tell you I've done my homework. Okay. One of the things I look at, you know, when we look at teams from one year to the next, we look at okay, who'd they add, who'd they subtract. But what we don't really look at sometimes is who's on their roster that had a part-time role last year. And this year is going to have a bigger role and should really be able to have an impact. You know, I look at Winnipeg's roster and there's about a half dozen guys on that team that I would put in that category. They're not new players to their team, but they're going to have bigger roles. And they're guys that if they can expand on what they did a year ago, I think they're really going to make that team better without addition. Hamilton, it was the best team in the league last year. They're 15 and three. You know, they lost one game in the regular season after the first of August by one point. You know, other than the Great Cup, which was a debacle for them, I mean, it was it was a fantastic season, and they've got a two-headed monster at quarterback. I mean, they have Dane Evans, who took over halfway through last year and led them all the way to the Great Cup, and they've got Jeremiah Mazzoli, who, when he got hurt, was playing the best football of his career. And one thing we've learned in this league is often you need two quarterbacks. So when you look at their depth on their on at quarterback, the stability of their roster, and how good that team was a year ago, it's hard to go away from Hamilton in the East. Winnipeg's a little tougher because they're going to have a lot more stiff competition in the West than there is in the East. But I do think that they their depth is going to really show this year with with some guys that they've had you know on their roster for a year or two that are that are really been groomed to take on bigger roles. So I I'm going to say I'm going to say look I, everyone's picking Hamilton. So I'm going to go a little counterintuitive. I'm going to say Winnipeg repeats and they beat Hamilton again, and it's going to be worse for Hamilton because this year on December the 12th, the Grey Cup is in Hamilton, and I'm sounding like I'm a Bomber fan or something. I'm not trying to get that excited, but I just think the Bombers are going to beat Hamilton for the Grey Cup. Well, I'm going to go with you with the Ticats. I think out of East, the Ticats are are the, the team to beat, and until somebody does it, I just don't believe what uh, – that, that there's anybody out there that's going to beat them. But I'm going to go a little different out West. I mean, I respect Win- Winnipeg a lot. You know that. I, I think they are a great organization, top to bottom. And But I'm, I think the – I think oh, I'm going to look at the Stampeders out there. You know, I, I saw their roster. I was looking at it in preparation for this show, and I was like, you know, I really like what Calgary's got going. So I'm going to say it's going to be Calgary and, uh, and uh, the Ticats. You know Calgary is never a bad bet. <laughs> like if you look, I, I, was, I, I think it's, I think it's a dozen seasons of double digit wins right now. I mean, that's remarkable. You know, in fact, I was, I was writing about the stamps this year. I said only by virtue of the fact the CFL is a nine team league. Can you not put the Stampeders run of success, you know, up against, you know, the Golden State Warriors or, you know, the Yankees or other teams? And when you're talking about 30 team leagues, obviously getting to championship games and winning division titles is a little different than when you're talking about a nine team league. But, you know, other than that, their run of success under John Huffnagel, since John Huffnagel got there a dozen years ago. I mean, people think they had a down year last year, you know, and they still hosted a playoff game. So, you know, it's. It's I, I don't think you're wrong going for Calgary and they backfill 
on replacing players better than anybody in the league, you know, the last half dozen years or so. So I, I can't disagree with you with, with Calgary. Either. I think that's a that's a totally legit choice in the West. Well, we're going to go back at the end of the season to see which Dave got the right pick there. Uh, again, Dave Naylor, veteran sports journalist and football insider for TSN. Dave, if you want to just leave us real quick, the listeners out there with where people can find you, all the social media handles, all that good stuff, we would really appreciate it. You can find me on Twitter at TSN Dave Naylor, at TSN Dave Naylor. You can find my columns and writing and some of the video hits I do on tsn.ca. And if you're watching this in Canada, of course, you can find me on SportsCenter and the uh, CFL and TSN broadcast on TSN. Perfect. Dave Naylor again. Dave, really appreciate you joining us tonight, man. This was fantastic. Welcoming football back up north and in the States here very soon. Appreciate it, my friend. Hey, thanks so much for having me on, guys. I uh, hope we get to do this again sometime. Enjoy uh, the we season. Will, we'll hit you back midseason and see how the CFL's growing. Terrific. Thanks, guys. Thank thanks, you. Dave. See ya. All right. So, Mr. Dave Naylor there, TSN Insider, bringing us a little insight into the Canadian Football League starting up this week, weekend here. Uh, David, I know you spent some time up there, so I know you are also extremely excited as we were having our interview there. Uh, we have Mike Riddleman say, my day is instantly better seeing Ryan's smiling face. Yes, I know. David oh, says as well. Oh, so, boy. I agree. If, oh, Mike, boy. Mike, if you're still looking out there, um, appreciate you, man. Appreciate you so much. Mike, uh, he'll pay you later. So we're going to have James Kirkland on in a couple minutes. David, We were before we had Dave on, uh, too many Davids, too many Davids in one studio. Uh, before we had Dave Naylor on, DN instead of DT. Before we had Dave on, we were talking a little bit about the secret sauce of scouting, the running back position. We talked about some of the best running backs you've been around and scouted. So let's break it down, my friends. Let's break it down. When we're talking about the modern day running back, what are some important traits that you need to find to be on board? Well, you know what? Um, Everybody talks about 40 speed, but with all these GPS speeds that are on the pads and in the, you know, um, vests and everything, you really need that acceleration speed. You know, not all it's just what you really want to see when a running back puts his foot in the ground and goes, how fast does he accelerate? And when he finishes off run, is he finishing it ex- still accelerating at top speed or is he declining in that speed? And with technology these days, we do a better job of being able to gauge that. So we we can actually go into the numbers and see players' acceleration speed as well as their, you know, um, say they're at, at their 20 mark, at their 30 mark. Is their speed holding? Is it consistent? Or is it decreasing already so where they can be caught from behind or something? You know, a 40 speed will give you an indication of how fast they are, but the acceleration speed now uh, days with the uh, technology is really um, something I geek out over Um these days the other thing is and i go back to tom rathman on this one i i I will never go against him on this and tom rathman always used to say don't give him a running back that couldn't or wasn't willing to step up and pass protect like at least put their face in a linebacker's chest at least try to keep his quarterback clean if you don't do that as young scout or young scouts if you're not seeing somebody do that they're really a liability more so that you can tell me all day long how many balls they catch and how much they, you know, yards they pick up after catch and how shifty they are out there. But if they don't pass protect, then there's going to be certain plays they're not in on because the blind's going to shift. You know, there's going to be a 70 backside protection or something and they can't pick up a linebacker. And, 
and that they become a liability. So, I mean, even the, you know, like I said earlier, when we were talking about some of the best I've ever been around, like Ricky Williams, was he stellar at it? No, but he would try. He would try to definitely keep his quarterback clean. Um, and that's important uh, for the running back position. The better pass protector you are, honestly, the more valuable you become for uh, an NFL team. Let me ask you something, David. This is an interesting question. Now, obviously, there was a time where we're talking about the bell cow running backs, right? This guy's going to touch the ball 350 to 400 times, counting rushes and receiving. And, you know, the backup running backs are, you know, special teamers. They might have, you know, maybe five carries, five to seven carries a game. We have seen, obviously, a big push towards a committee approach in a lot of instances, right? Like even Alvin Kamara. No, no, it's true. Go look at the stats. Go look at the stats. I'm throwing some some numbers out at you. Alvin Kamara, who's considered one of the best running backs in the NFL, might carry the ball between 150 to 210-ish times a game uh, a year. But then Latavius Murray is also going to run the ball 150 times. So even one of the best running backs in the NFL is a part of a committee approach. My question for you now is the modern day, does anything change in your process knowing that some running backs are maybe more niche players than complete all-around players, more of a departmentalized approach. I mean, again, as we talked about on Friday Night Scout School last year, it's all about system and what your coaches are looking for and whatever. I believe with the uh, college and high school players continually being spread offense players, you're seeing smaller and smaller running backs, and that's the reason why you have to have more of a committee because those little guys honestly just can't take the pounding all the time. And that's not a knock on them. You just built little and these big linebackers are 250 running around hitting you. You know, it's just not, it's not going to work. You know, you just, it's not going to happen. The backs that we talked about, the Eric Dickerson's, Walter Payton's, I mean, the bit, they're bigger guys. You know, they really could hit and take the pounding and they can run between tackles. But from, Pop Warner for them all the way through high school, college. They were running pro style offenses. So people were trying to get the bigger backs that, you know, could do that. Nowadays, we just don't see those big backs all the time that can do it um, and be consistent with it. Um, so you need a little bit more committee. I don't really believe in that. I like a back to get in his rhythm, stay in his rhythm, feed that back, watch that back go off because it's something special. When you got a running back, that gets in his groove and he's running all the time and rolling and rolling and rolling. I mean, it is so much fun to watch. So, you know, when you're doing that kind of uh, game planning, I get excited about it. I always look for an offense coordinator. That's a pro style offense guy that wants that bigger back Tom Coughlin style that let's run downhill and move people around, you know? Yeah. And I know we're going to have James Kirkland on in a few minutes here. As soon as he signs on for Kirkland's corner before we do, are you looking for coaching on how to tackle interviews or how to prepare for the professional environment after your college career is over? Contact Maverick Sports Consulting today to help you be prepared as scouting pulls through your school, as you meet with boosters and sponsors to ensure you can see the opportunities that are in front of you and that you're prepared to take advantage of those opportunities. Use the same training that has been proven to work on with players such as Odell Beckham Jr., Todd Gurley, Dante Fowler Jr., Marcus Peters, and many, many more that David has had the pleasure to work with. If you want to invest in your career, that has a proven track record of working contract uh, contact Maverick Sports Consulting today. 
So, David, I figure since we're waiting on James to pop in here, I think it might be a good time for story time with Uncle Dave. I think that might be a good time. Oh, really? I think it might be a good time, man. I think it might be a good time. Um, So, story time with Uncle Dave. I know that you talk about the – the, the relationships that you have developed in the scouting realm. And I know obviously James is one of them. So let me take you back a young David Turner, a young scout getting into the field. Take me through one or two people and the relationships that you developed as far as who are a couple guys that really helped a young scout version of David Turner develop into the great evaluator. We all see to get today. Oh man. Um, there are so many of them because I really uh, gravitated to the um, to the older guys. So I mean, Larry Ennis um, from the Giants, John Abmill from the Giants. Obviously, these were old timers that kind of hung around, did some film work, some stuff for Dave Gettleman and the organization after they retired. But even Jeremiah Davis at the Giants, uh, you know, really formed a lot of my opinions and things. Um, great Angie Koya, Dave, uh, and Kent McLuhan, you know, rest in peace, Mickey Marvin. I learned from some great scouts that were veterans and everybody that uh, came around were just so, – I was so blessed to be around them. I mean, I couldn't even – I couldn't imagine being here at all. And then on the road, C.O. Bricado, you know, the godfather himself. I befriended and, and he would take me under his wing and we'd go to dinner when we were in the same city and he would sit with me and talk to me about different positions and we would draw stuff on napkins and stuff. So, um, you know, again, I was fortunate. I was always with my relationship with my grandfather, you know, it was so special that when I got on the road, I just kind of, kind of went towards those guys and, uh, and, uh, took, try to get tucked under their wings and stuff. So, you know, I, I could sit here all night and tell you name after name, and they were all in their 60s and 70s, and they were great to me. So, you know. Yeah. And, um, David, I was curious. Did you see the video? It reminded me of you. I should have tagged you in it or t- tweeted at you or something. Actually, no, I think my Twitter wasn't working, so I couldn't have tweeted you. You know, you need a, tw- you need a Twitter to be able to tweet, right? But, yeah, it's back up there, riseanddraft.com. Uh, so, my question was, I'm sorry, I just went off on a huge tangent and my mind went in 20 different ways. There was a video that, that surfaced of um, Dave Gettleman in um, in training camp. He was off to the side and he was dancing and it was the funniest video of all time. Did you see this video? No, I didn't. It's the greatest thing ever. I'm going to inbox it to you in a couple minutes and I just, you need to give me the inside scoop on Dave Gettleman, man, because he, he strikes me. He strikes me as like a man's man, right? Like he's, he's kind of like a scary dude at some points, right? But then I see him dancing on the sideline, man. Like, give me what is the real deal with Dave Gettleman? Tell the Giants fans out here. Dude, Dave's a big teddy bear. I mean, he's a business, <laughs> but it, but he's a big teddy bear. I mean, he, you know, I um, he's uh, I don't know how best. I mean, he's like a grandfather figure. It's it's what I mean when I was first working for him. Of course, I was intimidated by him. I was a young scout, and he was Dave, and you know he was the director of pro and everything. But as I gotten to know him, he's really an educator. He's really a man that um, that really wants to teach. He's all about that. Um, he's a guy who takes you under his wing, and he wants you to learn. You know, he sees the passion. 
because, uh, you know, for me, he always said, if you can see the game a certain way, um, then he, he could teach you to write it and put it up and all that stuff. So, you know, for him, he's a true teacher. His background is teaching. Um, he really wants to take young men under his wing and women under his wing and teach them how to scout and, you know, achieve their passion in life, which is be a personnel director, um, hopefully, or a personnel person. So, you know, he's not, um, he's, he's not a person that, that's going to be scary to be demonstrative, even if he's mad at you, you know, if you did something wrong, he's going to talk to you about it versus, you know, scream and yell at you. You know, if you close the door in his office, you're going to get a talking to, not going to get hollered at, you know, when I was with Mr. Davis, I'd get hollered at and the door wouldn't even be closed yet before he started. So, you know, it was just a situation where for me, we're uh, growing and becoming a scout under Dave was a pleasure because I am a man who made mistakes and I didn't do things always hundred percent correct. Um, and he would just be like, Hey kid, you got to learn from this. You know, you're going to take some lumps. It's going to happen, but you got to learn from this one, you know, and, and I could always lean on him for that. Um, and, uh, you know, so for me, that that's what I remember about Dave. And so when you see him dancing and having fun, I mean, you got to imagine this guy's been in the business over 30 years. Uh, he's worked for Buffalo. He's worked for Denver, Carolina, Giants. I mean, he's got Super Bowl rings, division rings. Um, you know, he's a guy who survived cancer. So, I mean, he's out there having fun with it now. I believe he – I truly believe he believes in his coach, his team, his, his roster. So, I think he's in a good spot. You know, I really do. I think he's in a good spot in life. And, um, you know – I'm happy for him. I haven't seen the clip. I can't wait. Um, but I'm happy for him. Have you um, – so so I know we had a year of Joe Judge. He, I, I would say head coach Joe Judge actually did a better job than I thought he was going to do. Kind of just – I don't know. It just seemed a little of a reach as far as a hire. I know you were kind of impressed with the, the atmosphere that he got around the team. Um, are you now sold on Joe Judge here moving forward, or do you think it's one step in the right direction, but you're still kind of waiting and seeing with how good of a coach that he might be? No, I like Joe. Like what I saw last year through the adversity and everything, I like what I saw, and the team competed. I know uh, a friend of ours would rip on him all the time and everything, and but it, you know, again, he, you know, he. I think Joe had that team competing and more games than not, they were not blown out. They lost close games. I think, you know, Daniel Jones has to hold on to the ball. The offensive line has to keep Daniel Jones protected more. And again, if you have, you know, Shaq Barkley, you know, running the ball the whole time, uh, you know, and play action passes and all that stuff, it, it becomes better for him. So, you know, with him getting hurt so early in the season, it really cost them a lot of momentum, I think, and what they wanted to do all year. So, but this year, you know, hopefully their offensive line steps up, delivers what they want. I think they did a really good job with the draft and defense and getting some players, uh, you know, around some key components around uh, the offense. So we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. So now we are going to welcome our good friend, James Kirkland, former NFL scout and director of player personnel for the University of Illinois under head coach Lovey Smith. Welcome in, James, to the show. James, how are you? I'm doing good, man. How y'all doing over there? Fantastic. 
Yeah, you know me in Arizona. I'm just staying cool, baby. It was like 110 today, so you know we're finally hitting that summer heat. I'm trying to stay in the house and stay cool. Yeah, no, that's right. Hey, this is the wrong time to not have air conditioning. That's yeah, for sure. Seriously, <laughs> ice packs and air conditioning is what you need out here right now. Absolutely, golly, how, how y'all are you doing? doing in Atlanta, man? I'm doing all right, man. You know, had some. You know, it's been an interesting. Interesting few weeks, you know what I mean? Had a couple friends that, you know, a couple people I care about ended up leaving here. And, um, so that was the downside of it. But the good news is I did have my daughter for a little while, so I was really happy about that. Um, got to spend some real time with her and really get to know her a little bit better, you know, so that was good. So it's been up and down, but I'm silent. I'm silent, man. You know, I heard y'all talking about running backs or something other than that. Yeah, with, with, look with, at him go. Look at him. You heard the conversation. Here he goes. Yeah, talk, talk to me. Let's chop it up. Let's chop, let's chop it up. Let's well, talk running okay, back. Okay, modern day running back. Mm-hmm. Okay, what do they need to have in order to be successful in the modern day offense? Um. Oh, um, I mean, essentially, nowadays, you don't get 30 carries a game. Right. Like, that's not what they do now because OCs aren't that patient, right? So they're going to throw the ball around. So essentially, you need somebody who can get their man on in 10 to 15 carries. That's what we're talking about. So you need somebody that can create. You got to have some speed so that when you do get loose, you actually hit them for a big play. It actually means something when you get loose. So speed is a big deal. Uh, The other thing is, you know, you have to be able to catch the football. So if you look at um, Travis Etienne, this past year. Travis Etienne, um, Najee Harris, when you look at those two dudes, they're both exceptional receivers. Like, both of those guys have great hands. I mean, Travis Etienne actually played receiver in OTAs this year. So, actually being able to catch the ball gives you some diversity from the backfield. And then the last thing is what David talked about earlier. Like, you got to step up and be able to put your face in the fan. If if you're not willing to protect, I mean, I'm not going to pay my quarterback $40 million a year for my running back to get him murdered. Just not going to do that. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. You know what I'm saying? Like, the running back's job is to keep my quarterback out of a casket. You know what I mean? Along with the offensive line. So, he's got to be able to step up and block. He's got to be able to hit big plays. And, and and create opportunities really in both phases. So um, how many bell cows are there really nowadays? I mean, Derrick Henry probably gets more than the norm. Yeah. You know what I mean? Le'Veon Bell, when he was getting his man on, he was getting more carries than the norm. But, you know, most of these teams now are going to, going to these college spread concepts. So the, the day of the bell cow um, – Probably is over. Well, James, that's what yeah, we were I'm, talking I'm about. I'm sad about that. Yeah. And that's what me and you both. That's what we were talking about, James, because I introduced it. And then, you know, David's rattling off, you know, the Adrian Petersons, the Damian Tomlinsons, the Barry Sanders, the Walter Paynes, all these great players who are getting, you know, I said like 350, 400 carries a season, right? Now we're right. in a modern era where like Alvin Kamara was the guy I use as, a, as an example, right? Like he might get 150 to 200 carries a season, but he's going to catch 80 passes as well. You know what I mean? So that's how he, that's how they're manufacturing his touches. And I will pose the same question I posed to him, to you. 
Do you think, mm-hmm. as a as a former scout that grew up with those bell cows and scouted those bell cows, do you think that the, how the game has changed now to the committee approach, to the departmentalized approach, do you feel like that would change the way that you would view scouting a running back now? Um, would it change my approach? No. no. I mean, the, the approach I think is going to be the same because – Look, I, I always say this. This is this is this is James Kirkland. This is my opinion only. Like the the game has changed, but the same old principles apply. Right. Okay. So like during this time that I've been off, I've probably watched. I want to watch all of them, but I've probably watched 25, 30 Super Bowls. So in in just watching the Super Bowl and how teams win the Super Bowl. Everybody talks about how the quarterback is the most important position. The truth is the most important position is your offensive line. Your offensive line, you've got to be able to block your opponent so that your offense can execute, so that you can possess the ball, so that your defense can get after the passer. These princi- those principles will never change. And that look at the last Super Bowl. The Chiefs got strangled to death. Why? They ran the ball, what, six times? I mean, (laughs) they had no commitment to the run. They couldn't block Tampa on defense. And then offensively, if you look at Tampa, Tampa blocked Kansas City. They were able to run the ball, and they were able to throw the ball. So you you got positioning points from your offense, and defensively, they were able to stop the run, and then they made Kansas City one dimensional, or Kansas City chose to be one dimensional. I, I agree completely. So, I agree completely that the game has not changed as far as what wins. People ask me now, like what wins? It's mm-hmm. always going to be time of possession, which you talked about, and field position. Yep. Those are the two things. No matter no matter what area you're in, those things are going to determine who wins the football game, in my opinion. So. Sustained, yeah. sustained. Mm-hmm. But in this new day and time, then you know, hey, you know, you gotta you gotta appeal to the fans. <laughs> So you got to have somebody throw the football around. I'm just saying that, look, that's where it's at now. That's where it is hey, don't now. Don't make me suck on lemons. Don't make me <laughs> suck on lemons. <laughs> hey, look, I feel the same way. I feel the exact same way. Appeal I to feel- the fans. You know what the fans like? Dubs. Dubs. They do. They do. So to me, if you do it and you win, like, who cares? The problem is people aren't, you know, people want instant coffee. You know, we talk about it all the time. People want instant coffee. Are they going to wait for you to build a team over three to five years? Probably not. They don't want to hear it. I mean, especially in the league where these guys getting paid big money. Oh, man, please. Look, you got two years to show something. If you don't, you getting out of here. So well, that's like, part of the game now. Again, like I say, you if you inherit a team, you got to imagine the cupboard's not bare, right? Same. You got say say you got a dozen players that are good. Um, you just got to identify them and know who they are. Then you got a draft coming up. You hit on five guys in the draft. You hit on three guys in free agency. That's another eight. So if you got a dozen, that's twenty guys on the team that are pretty good players. You go through that year one into year two. Again, draft another five that are good. Sign another three that are good free agents. That's another eight. You're at twenty eight players on your fifty three man roster. You should be able to flip a. You should be able to flip the script that way pretty good, even if you wind up with, you know, twenty percent injury on those thirty. You know, so you're out. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if you have some key players, quarterback, 
offensive left tackle, different guys, it's going to hurt more. But if you have those, you're still going to be falling with 22 to 25 players in a, in that margins, which means sure. all your starters should be pretty solid. They should. Right. You should. You're shouting your systems, everything you're coaching, they all have to be on point in order to get you there. You know what I mean? Yes. And, and make sure you're there. And the and the, the silos of coaching and, and personnel can't be fighting. They have to be communicating yes. and they have to be open to both sides of opinion. It's not a dictatorship. It really is a relationship. And that's why the Steelers do so well. You know, they might not go to the playoffs every single year, but they they've gone to more playoffs, I think, than any other organization. And there's a reason sure. because yeah. they work well together. And see, I, I agree. Like, like to me, the thing that keeps you from being able to really turn it around and, and, and really make a, a, a quality squad quickly is it's that arranged marriage, man, that arranged marriage at the top between the GM and the coach. So, I mean, look, it, it you know, you're trying to see your coach's vision. <laughs> you're seeking his preference. Now, how quickly you're able to do that and get players that fit what your coach wants, then, hey man, you might be able to go ahead and take off. But if it if it takes a minute and y'all disagree and this, that, and the other, I mean, I know we had some of that in, in different places I've been where, you know, coaching and personnel were doing this. And in the meantime, you know, you got to go out there and keep playing games and, and nothing's right when it's that way. You know, it's, it's very, very difficult to get things done when people are bumping heads and going in different directions. It's hard to, it's hard to win anyway, let alone folks doing that. Man, come on. You got no chance. You got no chance. And I watched a lot of it. I've watched a lot of it. And it's disappointing. We've watched egos destroy a lot of organizations, you and I both, and a lot of programs Mm -hmm. and things. But at the end of the day, you know, the reality is if you learn to work with good people and good people want to work with you, Yes. Then, you, then you have more success than anybody can even imagine. And then people try to tear you down because they don't have that. It's kind of like a good, it's like a good marriage. When you see a good marriage, you're like, Oh, I want that. Oh, she's such a, you know, this, and he's such a that because he has that guy or that girl or whatever. And you yeah. know, they, tear, they start tearing you down because they, they, you know, they don't have that in their lives. Yeah. Cause it looks, it looks easy, but yeah. it's not, it's, 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 it's like watching ducks on the pond. You know, it looked real easy up top, but underwater, it's work being done. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, like no, man, it, it takes a, it takes a lot of effort to, and and really, I think the big thing is people have to be willing to listen to one another. People have to be willing to listen and you know, give and take and compromise and all that good stuff. So you know, it takes a minute. It takes a minute. James, I would love to ask you this. I asked David this earlier. You know, we did a little uh, story time with Uncle Dave. And I love just being here because I can listen to all the experiences that you guys have in your scouting careers, in your professional careers. I'm going to ask the same question to you that I asked him. The question was, let's think back to a young James Kirkland now. Young scout James Kirkland, okay? Who are a couple of guys for you that were – vital to your success as a young as a young scout who were a couple older scouts gm whoever it was who took you under their wing and showed you the way Ooh, okay so wow we're back in falcons territory okay um i would say 
uh, Les Need was one. Nice. Uh, that, um, you know, really, you know, just kind of gave me an opportunity to do a lot of things and, you know, didn't give me a whole lot of constraints, but, you know, he would kind of file me down. Hey, hey, James, you know, you need to think about this. You need to think that, you know, OK, you said this, but how does that fit into the overall scheme of things? Like he did a nice job with me that way. Um, um, another guy was was Phil Savage. Um, you know, there are lots of them. I mean, look, Mike Hagan was with us in Atlanta. I mean, there, there are lots of them, but I'm just speaking of Phil Savage. The first time I heard Phil Savage read a report, I was like, I want to sound like that. I want my reports to sound like that. And the most interesting thing he did was he had like for first time scouts, he uh, sat us down and had a little, it seemed like a little backgammon board with a bunch of little things. And he took us back to like the single wing and how defenses were played back then and how everything kind of evolved into what it is today. So he kind of brought a really cool historical aspect to the game for me. And it, it really kind of opened my eyes and it was like, yeah, you know what? I, I've been playing, I played tackle football for a long time. I started playing when I was nine. I didn't stop playing until I was 27. So like, like I, there were a lot of things that could help me as a scout that I didn't know how to, you know, relate it to what I was doing. So Phil Savage, Paul Woolfield was instrumental mm-hmm. in uh, really teaching me about receiver play. And not only receiver play, but also how to work in a football building. You know what I mean? Because there's there's a there are a lot of things. I'm gonna need your notes from that class. <laughs> well, look, all I can I can I can just I can he boiled it down to one line for me. He said, "Understand that when you're in the building, it all boils down to alliances and coalitions. Your job is to know, you know, who's related to who and why, so that you understand how to move." Because you can mess around and, you know, shoot yourself in the foot by not knowing who's who and what's what. You understand? So, you know, Paul Paul Warfield, I, I can't say enough about who he, was, who he was, you know, for me as a scout. The next one, obviously, I mean, and this really precedes Les Snead, is Ray Farmer. Um, you know, me and Ray Farmer played college ball together. He was the first one that started to kind of uncover that, you know, James got a weird curiosity about football. Cause like I would be up at like one or two in the morning, like just watching old VHS tapes of ball. Cause I, I, you know, I was always curious about how guys move, why this guy's better than that guy. And as a player, you start figuring out, all right, they said this dude was five, but it's that dude right there. That's the real dude. So why is he the real dude and he ain't? And why is he, you know, seen like this publicly? So me, Ray was the first one to be like, well, you know what? Since you're watching tapes, why don't we just go to the football office? <laughs> you know, we go to the football office at one in the morning and watch tape till, you know, sun up. So, you know, Ray Farmer was one. Um, another one was Kari Darlington. Kari Darlington uh, from Carolina was a, was a huge help to me. And the big thing I took from Kari was that 
You cannot separate the person from the player, period. So you can talk about what kind of talent he is on the field. You can talk about that, and that's great. But without understanding who the person is, you really don't have a good grasp of what you're actually putting in your coach's meeting rooms. And so, you know, he helped me to start to really understand the psychology of it, how the background pulls itself into the person's character and who they are and how they're going to, how they project going forward. So, you know, that's just, that's just a few, but I, I mean, it's, it's really too many to name, man. Like I, and honestly, man, I, I chip something off everybody. Kevin Turks, um, Kevin Turks in Chicago. I mean, just his demeanor. You're talking about a consummate pro late Dawson. Um, Shucks. Uh, Denard Wilson, who's now a coach with the, uh, he's with the Jets now, but he's their DB coach. But it, it, look, I chipped something off everybody. Phil Emery. And look, Phil Emery, I wouldn't even, you know, look, me and Phil had our differences. Okay. We, we ain't see eye to eye, but I learned a lot from him about how you actually bust down a player piece by piece. He was very, very, very specific. And I wasn't. I was more of a, can he play or can he? You know? And, you know, it's. I got by for a long time doing it that way. But, you know, he made me start to really think about, all right, what are the pieces? How do they fit? And then, like, it takes your bias out of it. Like, that's really what you want to do. You really want to be able to look at a player with a completely open mind and give them a fair evaluation. Um, Sam Somerville, Sam Somerville. I mean, even Steven, I call him the two yellow lines in the middle of the road because he's even on everybody. That's why all his reports come out super fair. Now, he's the guy who found Tariq Cohen for the Bears, right? And he's younger than me, like, but like I say, I I chip from everybody. I still I'm I'm puffy. I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm P Diddy around here. Like I learn, I learn everybody I come into contact with, I'm trying to learn something. Everybody, whether they're older, younger, um, male, female, it don't matter. If they got something that I can that I can learn from them, because when uh, tackle football, it's so much going on that if you if you're not learning, it's because you don't want to. Yeah, exactly. Hundred percent. But I, I'll just I'll just mention this: the one name that didn't come out of James's mouth was mine, and there's a reason for that because I was always busy learning from him versus no. him learning from me. No, that's not true. That's I'm not just messing true. with you. I'm no, messing with you. I'm messing with you because that's not true. Look, <laughs> what I what I because what I because what I learned from Dave is. It don't matter. How, to do. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how well you evaluate. It doesn't matter how good a dude you are. Like you can be out tomorrow, but if you really love it, if you really love it, you will stay in it and you'll see it through. Dave taught me that, and I'm out right now, and. Look, it's my first time being out in, well, I've been out before, but usually, you know, I got a job before camp. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? 
this is my first time really being out. And I've had serious doubts about whether I should even continue down this track just from what I see happening in, in the business, college side and pro side. But I cannot stop waking up in the morning thinking about players and turning on the tape. I can't stop. Like Ray's always say, man, it's a disease and we got bit. Yeah. 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 We, we, we got bit. Like we got bit early. And I, I just don't see myself doing anything else. I tried to do uh, athletic administration. It, it, it was cool, but I never felt comfortable doing it. I never felt comfortable with it because it was like, you know, I'm cool with the tennis team and I like watching them play, but it ain't tackle football. Yeah. You know, tackle football is, is a beautiful thing. I mean, you talked about C.O. Bracado earlier. Yeah. I worked, I worked with C.O. in Tennessee, right? I, I think this was the last draft. He was in, I think it was probably 20, maybe 2014 draft, if I'm not mistaken. C.O. wasn't feeling well when he got there. When he got in the building, he was not feeling well. But when the draft came on, guess where he was? In the draft room. 100%. And he had to leave shortly thereafter because he, he got sick and he just couldn't, he, it just wasn't good for him to be there. But like, he loved ball. Jake Hallam. I worked with Jake Hallam in Cleveland. Jake Hallam taught me about offensive line play. And how do you, how do you, how do you find the offensive lineman that nobody values, but he can actually help your football team? What's the important, what's the important trait? His ability to flip his hips and, Jake Hallam would get up and show you how to do it. And he was 70 years old, at least, at least. And when he was finally out, I, I'm not sure. I'm not, I, don't, I don't know that Jake lived another six months. Like he loved ball, period. No way around it. And so like, I can tell you, man, I chipped something from everybody. I chipped something from Bill Reese having a, Having an alternative voice in the room is huge. Having somebody in the room that's willing to say, all right, everybody said this dude's a first-round pick. I think he's a fifth-round pick. Who's right? Who's wrong? That's what happened with Brady Quinn. I thought he was a fifth-round pick. Everybody in the room gave him a first-round grade. Now, I got <laughs> I, I was the villain when I said it, and I, I eventually ended up washing out of there. But in the end, history history said James Kirkland might have got that one right. Been on to something with that one. So to me, that's the importance of not being afraid to put your opinion out there. If you do the work, you should be able to say you should be able to state your case. And so, I don't know, man. Look, you would do better. With a list of names, and I can tell you what I learned from all of them. <laughs> you, 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 do, you do better that way. We'll do that. We'll do that. We'll start that that's, up. That's, we'll get that done. And, and I'm going to tell you, it's a long list because I've worked with a whole bunch of them. I've been in a lot of places now. <laughs> now, you know, you know, now being the old vet. Yeah, <laughs> I've been to more places than you on my journey. I've, I've, I've seen plenty exactly. of staffs. It's 
But like you said, you learn if you if you really love ball, you learn from each one of them. You ask the question, why are you doing that? Why is that important? Why mm-hmm. is the coach asking them to do that drill? What's that drill bring out in the guy? Why you know you you just constantly are curious. If you if you lose your curiosity, you lose your you actually want to learn. And if you don't want to learn, then scouting is the wrong business because like you alluded to every and Ryan has it, it all you know, it all changes, you know, from the wing tee to now it's all evolving. So your yep. scouting abilities and your vision has to evolve a little bit, not, not drastically, like you said, James, because it's all the same. You're still blocking and tackling and you're still moving people off the ball. And so you can't, you can't, it doesn't change that much, but at the same time it changes enough to where you, you know, the little details, just like fine tuning the car. You know, you got to know which car takes what's kind of torque and what's uh, and what, what the frame and everything can work. Because if you don't know that, you're going to blow your tires every time. And then you're at the starting line and you ain't going nowhere. Yeah. You you waste them reps. Mm-hmm. You waste them reps. So, like, again, like I say, I learned everywhere. College was like I, I didn't understand. Like, I really didn't understand what was going on in college when I first got there. I didn't understand. I don't I didn't understand. We're gonna offer this kid, but we don't know anything about him. <laughs> or we're gonna offer this kid based on what his picture looked like on his highlight tape. Like, what? <laughs> Are you joking? Yeah. You know what I mean? So it, it's um and now college is I mean, wow, like what's going on in college? I mean, this whole thing's blowing up now that you know they're realigning and Texas and Oklahoma are gone, the Big 12 was on life support. <laughs> You know? Yeah, we we hit that one a little last week. That one, that one got me all fired up. You can only imagine the traditionalist in me. Why would you be fired up about this? <laughs> we'll go in. We don't have time on air because we're almost oh hundred. We're almost an hour and a half in. We're supposed to. We're supposed to be an hour show. <laughs> this is. This is. I'll call you tomorrow, and we'll chop it up for three hours. And, yes. We'll have an in-depth talk about this with James in the future for sure. I want to end this here. And James, I love kind of the excerpt you said about, hey, what, how, did the, how did the game – where did the game come from to get to this point? My favorite thing is also to predict what's next, right? Like to kind of have a little bit of foresight sure. if you can. Uh, but I'm going to let James Kirkland, of course, Kirkland's corner, close this out with us. We're going to go around the horn real quick with a closing thought. My first closing thought, I'm going to go to James and then David to end this because DT's the most important person in the room, obviously. So, my, my, my I'm the guy with a fish on the wall. I'm, I'm not important. <laughs> my closing, I'm, not even, I'm not even in my room right now. So, my closing thought, uh, I don't own I don't this house right now. So, my closing thought is – we talked about the New York Giants earlier, right? We talked about Dave Gettleman for a little bit. We talked about Joe Judge. We talked about all this stuff. My man, Daniel Jones, you stop getting in fights in camp, idiots. Get out from underneath the stupid pile. You're a quarterback. Don't get yourself injured, you idiots. Go ahead, James. You're up. <laughs> okay. I have to say something about that. <laughs> uh, because Daniel Jones is a Duke alum, oh. like myself, like myself, you you walked him right into that one, right? I love it. I'm just, I'm just I'm just saying, like, look, if my teammates fight, I'm fighting. Period. And I know he's a quarterback, but you know, who said the quarterback is more important than everybody else on the team? I did. Other than, other than the guy who's paying him. <laughs> <laughs> I did. <laughs> did you Really? Get him, get him out of there! You cannot let him. If he hits that hand on the helmet, right, your season's over. Go. Okay, so my parting shot. Yep. 
is what Paul Brown always said about the quarterback position. And that is that the quarterback is an important cog in the machine. However, he is just a cog. Love it. DT, yeah. you agree with me that cog, one time. Hey, guess what? Guess what? When you go back to the toolbox, a lot of uh-huh. times you're missing that, uh, that, that spare cog. And so then the machine yeah. falls apart. Oh, man. So, yeah. you know, so going back to, I said one thing earlier. I talked about the, the 20, 25 Super Bowls I've watched. My favorite team right now is the Washington Redskins of the 80s. Why would they be my favorite team? Mark Riffin and uh, three, three Super Bowls and, and three different quarterbacks. That's why. Yeah, there we go. How can you do that? You play hard nosed, tough defense, and you block everybody and you win the kicking game. And you got Riggins. It's as easy when you got Riggins running the ball. That, that helps. But that helps. but they won the last one with they won they won one with Timmy Smith at running back. <laughs> <laughs> the other one they had Gerald Riggs, who was a retread from the Falcons. Yeah. Like so, but O line, defense, kicking game, you can win a lot of ball games. Hey man, Timmy Smith was one of the best one hit wonders in Super Bowl and NFL history. So I like that in there. David. Final, final shot, baby. Well, I got to do this one. So my baby girl turns eight on Friday. So the parting shot is a happy birthday to the boss. Because when she comes in and you guys know how it is, she runs the house. She runs me up and down and it's just the way it goes. So my parting shot is a happy birthday to my baby girl. Um, I love you and I always will. And I can't wait for you know, the eighth birthday to come and go because I'm already over these goodie bags and stuff, but it has to be done. So daddy is doing it. Absolutely. It's a beautiful thing. Love it, man. Love it. Great ending to the show here again. Mab Sports Take episode 51. Thank you everybody for tuning in tonight. Give us a like, share, a review on your favorite podcast provider. You can also catch us on YouTube as well. We will be back same time, same place next week, 8.30 Eastern time. Have a great week, folks. Thanks for listening to another episode of Mav Sports Take. Connect with us on social media, share your thoughts on today's episode, and tell us what we should take on next time on Mav Sports Take. Want more from our hosts, David and Ryan? Visit maverick.sportsconsulting.com and learn how we can help you take the next step in your sports career. Until next time, this is Mav Sports Take. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.